This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we're talking grouse and woodcock, along with some traveling wing shooting with Mike Nadusky from the Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 138. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side by sides to the Upland Ultralight and Wing Shooter Elite over and unders. They've got pumps, they've got semi autos, and as I keep teasing the listeners, very soon the Project Upland crowdsourced shotgun will be available from CZ USA. Hover to CZ-USA.com to learn more. And by Garmin, makers of dog training, GPS tracking tools, the best of the best. Garmin is absolutely a leader in the outdoor recreation navigation space. I've got collars, I've got the watch, I've got a whole bunch of stuff from Garmin, including the all-new Alpha 200, which I've been happy to experiment with and use as I've been getting back out in the spring woods. Check out the Alpha 200 and the rest of the great products from Garmin at Garmin.com. 
and by Sage and Breaker, makers of gun cleaning products that protect legacies. The legacy of your firearm, the legacy of the sport, and the legacy of passing both down to future generations. Sage and Breaker lives, breathes, and makes everything at the highest caliber possible, and they are proud to pass that caliber of craftsmanship on to you. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels, unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomole design, frame steel door, and now Dakota Guard, an FDA and EPA-approved antimicrobial additive included in small quantities during the product's production that results in highly effective protection against a whole bunch of nasty stuff that could be in your dog's kennel. And this is simply another way Dakota 283 is committed to keeping your pets safe. Learn more at Dakota283.com. All right, this week's one of the podcast giveaway. Chris L. She sent me some feedback. She left us a comment on one of our Project Upland on one of our podcast posts on the website. Sent me some pictures of her bird dog. Good stuff from Chris. We appreciate it. Project Upland t-shirt headed her way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can do that by leaving us a rating. Leave us a review in your podcast app. Subscribe or follow the podcast. Share the podcast or send us some feedback or guest suggestion, you can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, on this week's show, we are talking to Mike Nadusky, Southeast Regional Director of Development for the Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society. Former guest of the podcast, he's a NAV the judge. He was a volunteer with RGS and AWS the last time he was on the show. Now he's officially on board as staff. Enjoy catching up with Mike. We talked about his hunting season last fall, a new puppy, some traveling wing shooting, and of course some updates from Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society. And a heads up for the listeners, if you're interested in contributing to the RGS and AWS mission, now is a great time to do so. You can take advantage of a membership drive through the end of March. Head over to roughgrousesociety.org. Find out all the great benefits of becoming a member of Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society. And there's a few bonuses thrown in there from our friends at Pike Gear, supporting the conservation mission of one of the leaders in forest health and wildlife conservation rough grouse society and american woodcock society and with that said we're going to transition to our interview today with mike nadusky on the project upland podcast coming up shortly before we jump into our show today i'm going to experiment with a new segment on the project upland podcast basically listener mail going to the project upland inbox my email things i hear from listeners i get emails all the time from folks i try to incorporate some of them into our weekly podcast giveaway winners but it's come to a point where i just get too many awesome emails and i want to share some of this stuff with the other listeners in hopes that you can connect in a different way with some of the other folks listening to the show from around the country around the world even hear some of their stories the things that inspire them motivate them and encourage other folks to send us emails at the project up in inbox contribute to the show and share your stories so with that said our first ever listener mail on the project up in podcast comes from eric from alaska eric sent me an email and it reads as follows Dear Nick, I wanted to share a story with you about how listening to the Project Upland podcast has inspired me to start upland bird hunting again. I grew up in Iowa and was eight years old when I went on my first pheasant hunt. However, it took me until I was 13 to shoot my first rooster. I never missed a season. Until last October, I hadn't been on a bird hunt since November 2016. Shortly after 
after the end of that season, my GSP Haley passed away at 13 years old. My wife and I also moved from Iowa to Alaska in February of that year. I put bird hunting to the wayside and didn't know if I would start again. Finally, after living in Alaska for just shy of four years, I decided to make a change. Still without a dog, I grabbed my 20 gauge over and under that I got when I was 14 and headed to the mountains. I was after ptarmigan and there was snow already high up in the mountains. I had success my first time out with one whitetail and three willow ptarmigan. That's all it took for me to fall back into my passion for upland bird hunting again. The next two months were full of bird hunting, including six different species and four different states. Thanks so much for hosting the podcast and promoting the upland hunting community. I really appreciate how you and others have helped inspire me to get into bird hunting again. Thank you, Eric, for listening to the podcast and sending me that email. And congrats on finding your way back into upland bird hunting. Six different species in four states. His first season back. I love that. That's enthusiasm right there, folks. So that's it. Listener mail from the Project Upland Podcast inbox. Email me. Share your story with the Project Upland Podcast listeners. And now we're moving into our scheduled conversation today on the Project Upland Podcast with Mike Nadusky from the Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society. Welcome back to the Project Upland Podcast. Mike Dudusky, how are you, man? I'm fan- fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well. Appreciate you asking. It's pouring rain outside, and we're melting some snow. It's actually kind of sleeting. It's, like, nasty. So I'm yeah. downstairs in my warm basement talking to you. This is right where I want to be, Mike. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's, I, I guess I should... Maybe I shouldn't tell you that it's like 75 and bright sun here in North Carolina. I knew you were going to say something like that. (laughs) Yeah. We honestly have had, this has been such a mild winter for this part of the world. And we just came off of two days that were 50 degrees. And as I know, you know, from living in cold climates, when you're, you know, it wasn't a month ago, we had two weeks of sub-zero temps when it's 50 degrees, it feels like it might as well be 75. I mean, I could have been out there in a t-shirt and shorts all day yesterday. <laughs> Absolutely. That that yeah. sounds like shorts weather when you're up in the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, what have you been up to, man? What's been keeping you busy? Well, I mean, the, the RGS gig for sure. Um, has, <laughs> yeah. That's, has, that's new since the last time we spoke. It is. Um, it's, it's funny. I was thinking, you know, the other day I was like, Oh, it's, it's time for our annual, like get together and talk on the podcast. I think this is like three years, three years running of every spring we get together. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so yeah, the, the RGS front is, is up and running and, and busy. And this past weekend was the judge in the first NABDA test of the year. So um, you know, oh, cool. got, got through, got through hunting season and, um, turned the corner right into dog training and testing yeah. and off and running the puppy, you know, it's, I, I brought her through, through hunting season and really didn't do anything with her. She'll like, she'll come back to me and go in her kennel and hunt and that's about it. So I'm, I've just now realized like, oh, I should probably do some obedience work with you at some point. So <laughs> I've got a, I've got a full load for the off season. Yeah. Just so I don't assume too much or skip over it remind well not not remind the listeners tell the listeners what you do for rough grouse society <laughs> sure uh so i am the director of regional development for the southeast region um so right now that is um maryland south uh so maryland okay. virginia uh, uh tennessee north carolina south carolina and georgia and you've you've been in that part of the world for a while now you were a volunteer for american woodcock society you were doing some stuff and now you are officially on board staff with rgs aws yeah it's, it's really exciting i've been a volunteer for probably a year year and a half um in different capacities and 
really um, you know, knew a number of years ago I wanted to pivot my career into conservation and uh, was really privileged even with the, the pandemic to to land a job doing yeah. just that with the Rough Crowd Society, which is for me is just a, a dream come true. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, doing, uh, doing some good work and got our support. That's for sure. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, but I also wanted to catch up with you and talk puppies and last fall hunting season and all that stuff. Yeah. We didn't have the opportunity to, to sit and do this over a beer at Pheasant Fest this year. So. No, no, we didn't. No, no, yeah, that was a, that was the last time we connected, which I've, I've said it enough on this podcast. That was like the last time a, a lot of folks got together in the Upland world and it seems like a long time ago. And of course we missed it this year, but, um, there will be another Pheasant Fest in the future. I'm sure there will be, yep. you know, that actually reminds me of something that I was just, uh, contacted by a former guest of the podcast, Michael Pepe. He's a taxidermist out East. He's working on putting together like a game fair event in Georgia. How close are you to Georgia? Uh, a couple hours. Okay. Yeah, you have to yeah I'll, to me. I'll have to get you the details on it, and I will. I'll share more for the listeners because Michael and I were talking about possibly getting him on here to talk about it. But my podcast production schedule is such that it may not happen. But for your information and for the listeners, it sounds like a pretty cool event in Georgia. They're going to have a bunch of vendors there, uh, upland related stuff, dog training, checking out the shooting grounds. It's at like a shooting resort. Um, I'll have to get the information on it, but sounds cool. And with that said, talk to me about event status for rough grouse society. I know like everything, we're still in this kind of tentative phase where nobody really knows when things are going to fully open and stuff, but is there anything on that front? I mean, I know you guys have your 60th anniversary. I mean, it's a big year for RGS AWS. Yeah, it's huge. Thanks for, for bringing that up. It is our, our 60th anniversary, which is, is uh, somewhat crazy to think about. Um, yeah. But there, there speaks to the longevity of the organization for, yeah. for this year. Um, what we're really focusing on is, um, so, you know, obviously being a science-based organization, we want to lean into that. Um, so whatever whatever the science is saying, as well as following state and local guidelines. And so it really, you know, I hate to say this, but it depends. Um, I've got yeah. more, more leeway here in the southeast to do some things. And what we're really trying to do is move as much as we can to outside venues. Yeah. Um, you know, what we know is that if, if we do it outside, there it's just going to be safer. We're coming, you know, we're much more informed now than we were this time last year. For sure, um, yeah. And so we're really, really working to to plan things outside. So um, I'm trying to get some things up and running here in short order, whereas up by you, Nick, I mean, that's going to be more your June, July, and August, Yeah. Uh, you know, once things things thaw out and it's warm enough to, to really get outside and also not be standing in six inches of mud. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But uh that's where where we're trying to go is is we really want to to get back out there and be seeing people and um and and getting folks together it's been been a rough year right and not been able to to get folks together so yeah uh, we really want to be providing those opportunities for folks because they're hungry for it you know we we are a community um and i think we all missed missed that community and engagement this past yeah. 12 months yeah i would wholeheartedly agree with that and it's probably the reason i end up a lot of us end up talking about Pheasant Fest so much. And, you know, I will say that, you know, all things considered, the impact on my life and a lot of the folks I know has been pretty mild, you know, as, as far relative to a lot of folks. I mean, this has been a really challenging year, and I consider myself very fortunate to have not had to deal with some of the hardships that many folks have had. But I know that, you know, with that said, 
getting together and like the sense of being away from people is has really started to get to me. And I was just telling you before we hit record that I've been shooting for the last month or so, I've been shooting clays every Sunday and that is like, it's been unreal. <laughs> just, just something to look forward to all week. I go and shoot and I'm actually shooting with Mark Fouts. Um, I, I, nice. I, I failed to mention that, but, um, my rough grouse society regional director up here in this, this part of the world. And, um, so a, a bunch of us, well, I shouldn't say a bunch of us, a few of us from our rough grouse society committee have, uh, have committed to getting out and shooting some clay targets every Sunday, talking about what we're going to do as a chapter moving forward. And it has been, uh, it's been awesome to be able to go and do that. Just kind of like a regular meeting with people because we've we've not had enough of that over the last year. No, no, and it, I, I'm sure, you know, myself and you and all the listeners were all really hungry to get back to things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about last season. We'll kind of we'll look backwards a little bit, and I know that you added a new puppy to the mix last fall, as as did I. So we maybe have a few things to talk about there. But tell me, tell me about your season a little bit. Some of the places you went to and places you hunted, because I know you got to do some traveling. Yeah, I, I was really fortunate to travel a fair bit. Um, put a lot of miles on my truck this year, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, is, is a blessing and the curse. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did, uh, so I was in Minnesota, um, for some society work that was, was really, really good. And uh, for me, a really neat introduction to a lot of our community. Um, and so I was able to, to tag some extra days on there to hunt with some folks in the community. I know you and I were, were batting around trying to get together and it just, yeah. just didn't work out. But, um, yeah, so I, that was my first time in Minnesota and, um, had a, just an awesome experience, uh, bumming around the Chippewa and a, a couple other places and did really well, yeah. um, really, really well. And that was before the snow. Um, yes. so I, I got lucky there. Um, yeah. From there, I cut over to my normal camp in Wisconsin, um, which it mostly rained. So we did okay, but uh, we definitely had some days where we were stuck in camp. Was that in – that was later in the year, wasn't it? No, I went to Wisconsin twice. So, oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, right. so um, I was uh, – that was right after – it was October still. Okay, right be- same before, trip, same right leg before, of the trip. Yeah, yeah, I just sort of cut over and spent some time there. Okay. Um did Kansas twice, uh, November and January. So that was a tale of two very different trips. And, yeah. uh, and then I, I, uh, my, my wife's family is, uh, is based in Chicago. And so we were able to get up there for the holidays. Um, just with, you know, we were able to, to quarantine and do that safely so we could see her family. And then, um, because we didn't have any other obligations, we went and we rented a cabin in, in the Northwoods, just the two of us Okay, for the new, for new years. And I was able to get some, some real late season hunting in, in Wisconsin, cool. yeah. uh, which was excellent. Yeah. You know, and then the, the usual, you know, North Carolina, um, grouse down here, uh, which is in- incredible. I finally, after three and a half seasons killed a, a Southern Appalachian grouse. I remember seeing that. Uh, yeah which uh, was incredible. And then uh, my last day of the season, I was grouse hunting, and instead of grouse, I found quail. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> was it completely a shock that you found them, or or is it not that big of a surprise? Uh, where I was, I knew it was a possibility, okay, okay. Um, but it, it it's one of those where, like, you hear about it, and you're like, yeah, right. Sure, sure. Um, you know, and then the covey blew up, and I was like, what just happened? <laughs> and I kind of had to like put, put two and two together and, um, uh, and, and go after, after singles after that. Um, but it was, 
it was a trip. You know, it was, it was the last day here was really warm. You know, it was by the by the middle afternoon. It was like seventy degrees. I was ready to sort of call it quits. Yeah. Uh, and then that happened, and I was like, all right, I guess I'll stay out for just a little bit longer. It is the last day. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about let's let's go back to Minnesota a little bit. I want to talk about a little bit about some of your traveling, hunting, and kind of how you went about it. So sure. in Minnesota, I think you and I were were messaging back and forth and we might have been talking about some areas to check out because I kind of knew generally where you were but mm-hmm. what was the what was your process like how did you find spots to hunt and and what was the what was the result you said it was good yeah, yeah I, I had a blast um, so I'm a huge proponent of of onyx as well as and gender not scout and hunt yeah um, I've we my, my buddies and I have relied on scout and hunt for years way back to the paper maps. Um, and so, so really I, I utilize that, um, and, and Onyx as well, just as, um, I really like scout and hunt for the, the cover overlays. Um, whereas Onyx is better for navigation and pin mapping and higher level view. Yeah. Tracking, organizing, um, all sorts of things. And so I, I really use both in tandem. Um, and that worked, worked really, really well. Um, and I think at this point I've, I've gotten experience enough where, you know, you, you look at the map and you can sort of do the drive by and be like, Oh, that came in right. Or, Oh no, it didn't. Um, and it cuts your curve. Uh, but I certainly went on some, some long walkabouts where I'd maybe didn't move as much as I would have thought I would. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had, I can think of at least three, three mornings where I moved like 15 birds in a morning, um, which is really good. Um, 15 grouse plus, you know, I would say when I was there, woodcock were hard to come by. Um, it just was so dry in that early October. It was super dry. Yep. Yeah. I think the woodcock, it's always so variable because people are out at different times. And as most people that follow woodcock and the migration, I mean, you just never know when you're going to hit a heavy flight of birds or not. And I felt like I, I had one weekend where I was, I mean, there was without a doubt you're in flight birds, you know, you walk into a very prototypical aspen cut and i actually had some i had a couple of friends with me that were hunting one of them had a new dog about an eight month old short hair and they they don't hunt as much as i do and so i knew that you know we had spent a couple of days chasing grouse and we did just fine but i wanted to check this spot out and i was thinking that there might be a pile of woodcock in there and sure enough there was i think we put up like 50 birds in in a couple hours and wow. <laughs> yeah and i never even i never even shot one it was i was kind of just like I'm not real eager in that scenario and it was my buddy's dog was on the ground and I just was kind of like wanting to sort of curate the experience for those guys and, you know, not running into every point and everything. And I had a couple chances where the dog was on point and I just, I think I didn't have a good shot, but those guys, they did plenty of shooting and they, uh, they, they put a couple of birds in the bag, but it was fun. But I, but I, my point of that bringing it up was for me, I, I didn't, think like the rest of the season i wasn't covered up in woodcock all the time like i just i didn't really get into them and that i remember in that early stage of october thinking i was wondering how much that dry the dry conditions were affecting the locations of woodcock and grouse for that matter because it just seemed to be it, it seemed to be really unusual and it was just everything was crispy crunchy and then by the time we got some precipitation it was snow which you alluded to earlier yeah <laughs> we had some weird weather yeah the the october snow out this year was real i talked to a lot of people where that ruined their trips yeah yeah and that was you know minnesota 
it was tough because we got that October snow and that did end up melting by the time Minnesota deer season rolled around. We had like 70 degree weather and the snow was gone. Uh, but then it was deer season. And then I think by the time Minnesota deer season was over, we got another big snowfall. And then I think Northern Minnesota was pretty much covered from then until the end of the season, which was not the case in some of the other areas of the upper great Lakes. So definitely weather played a role and that's i've I've talked to some folks that didn't hunt as much as they normally would because because of that weather in minnesota yeah no that's what I, i've heard from a lot of different folks is, is yeah. exactly that but then you know you you go east just a little bit in wisconsin and you know folks over there had a great late season post year yep. season even when i was up there you know, a couple of days after Christmas, there wasn't snow on the ground. And towards yep. New Year's, it had prog- progressively like snowed like every day or every other day. Yep. By the time we left, there was probably six inches on the ground. But you could still, you know, you weren't post-holing in the woods. Yes. Uh, yep. And so it was still nice to get out and run dogs. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I hunted the last day of the season, which I think was January 3rd. And that was, I think that was the only day where I couldn't reasonably drive out of the snow. Like I tried to get south and east but i couldn't get out of it and i ended up hunting and it was really my only walk where sometimes you'll have that late season where the woods are covered in snow and you're just kind of out there to be out there mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a lot of that i had most of my hunts were good well into the late season like didn't have that sort of feel but that that final hunt of the season was definitely the ceremonial just walk in the woods and me and the pup went for a walk and she was in the snow and i was in the snow and uh we didn't flush a bird but it was a good way to end it <laughs> yeah no you need those days to to remember you know the times where for sure you had yeah. the fantastic ones yeah when you when you go grouse hunting because i, I want to I'm going to eventually transition this and talk to you a little bit about hunting down there because i've never done it of course you've you've done it some now but when you're up in this part of the world, Great Lakes grouse country, how do you like to, how do you like to go about your hunts? Do you like to park the truck and dive deep in the woods and do a big loop? Do you like to hit different little spots? How do you go about it? Uh, I would say a little bit of all of it, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think I'm a huge fan of park the truck, hike in, hunt out. Yeah. Um, you know, or if I can, um, if I can park the truck on an edge and hunt the edge all the way to the back and then turn in and hunt the cover out. Um, that's, that's would be how I would like to do it. Um, you know, I think, um, we're, we're a pretty committed group of half the day, hunt what, you know, half the day explore. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we've, we really try to, to go by that. And even with spots that we know, taking new approaches i think so so often you know folks just park the truck and walk the trail or um you know they always approach a a particular cover the same way and and i've always tried to to vary that and figure and and i've been places where that get hunted a lot and if you hunt it in a different way than most people do your success tends to to go up actually the the new year's eve i hunted a place um that's a it's sort of a really long rectangle with a road through the middle and it's hard to hunt and we took a, a we took a very different approach to hunting it and my pup actually pinned a big male in there um that we ended up up killing and it, i credit i credit that to our approach that day we had never really hunted this p- particular cover that way and and just sort of set it up just right so we had a shot opportunity yeah that's cool i i definitely would share that there's 
they're kind of like different hunts for different days. You know, if you're limited in time and you're, you need to go somewhere, you know, cause you know, like generally how long it's going to take you and get out on time. That's one thing. But then there's those days where, you know, you've got daylight ahead of you and you're looking at the map and you're looking at, you know, cut here, cut here, edge here. Let's take a big hike. You know, the, like that's probably my favorite thing to do, but you can't always pull that off on every day. Yeah. No, that's when we're particularly, you know, for me now, when I lived there, it was one thing, you know, because we had 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 more opportunity to hunt maybe those smaller pieces. Now, if I'm going up there and hunting, we're hunting almost all day. Yeah. Uh, So that's we particularly the morning hunt. We try to do a really big loop and then figure out what we're going to do the afternoon from there. Yeah. And I, and I guess I kind of bring that up because I, you know, we're in a lucky, we're in a fortunate position where we've got good public land access here, good quality habitat. There's plenty of those different hikes that you could do. You could say, I'm going to park the truck here and I'm going to do a three hour hike and probably hit three to five different habitat features, whether they're Aspen cuts or some kind of other edge that you're looking at. I mean, there's I could do those all season long if I had if I had the time and and we've got that and I'm kind of curious. I know the habitat is different down in that part of the world. I think you've got some public land, but but whether or not you have those habitat features is what I'm real curious about or what you found. Yeah, um, yeah, I would say so. We have the public land. It's just mm-hmm. the quality of the habitat within the public land is yeah. what's really lacking. And so, you know, for example, Pisgah and Anahela here in North Carolina is a million acres. Yeah but a, a dismal fraction of that is, is actually quality habitat. So, so a lot of, you know, I, I look at it as a morning hunt for, you know, cause for me, what I found to be to increase my success is hiking in somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a morning hunt that involves a hike in before you even start hunting, hunt, hike back to the truck, drive an hour, you know, eat lunch, hike somewhere in somewhere else, hunt, yep. turn around and come out. Whereas, um, you know, in Wisconsin or Minnesota, you, you, know, you can move the truck like quarter mile, half mile, you know, a couple yep. and, and be in a completely different area and have way more big loops. Whereas here it's much more pockets. Um, yeah. and so that's a challenge. I would also say the, the features are limited, you know, yeah. especially with them, with the mountains. Um, you know, it, it takes away your, you know, we're not hunting, swamp edges or anything mm-hmm. like that for yeah. us it's more you know i look for north facing slopes you know water on north facing slopes and, and different seeps and hollers and things like that um but i'm also i'm i'm a huge proponent um of of onyx and that capacity down here of looking for their their timber cuts yeah um and really keying in on those um as, as best i can it's i moved birds Every time I went out this year, which was a big leap for me. In years past, it was real spotty. Um, now, you know, not a ton for sure. Right. Um, but to just be able to to have success of even looking at a place on the map. Because for me, it's anywhere from three to four and a half hours, depending on where I want to go. Um, and so I'll do a, I do a lot of pre-scouting to find spots and then drive and hike. Yeah. So. There's a... Uh... It's it's always good affirmation to to put one bird up, even if it's just one, because then you can start to you know you can quiet the mind a little bit and be like, all right, I'm on to something here. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> might I be mean, the last one I see today, but <laughs> yeah, it's hard because we absolutely we need more habitat here and we want more birds. Yeah. At the same time, I'm still excited when I move a bird. Um, yeah. And so it, it's yeah, you know, it's just nice to know that they're here, and and if you get an opportunity, great. 
you know, but at the same time, you know, that's part of why I took the, the job that I do is because yeah. the, the habitat doesn't, isn't what it needs to be to support a legitimate population. And if we don't do the work, then they're not going to be here anymore. That's, yeah. that's a fact, plain and simple. Um, and so, I'm sure you've talked to plenty of folks that have been girls hunting down there for a long time that can tell you how it used to be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what it once was, was, um, was quite the opportunity. You know, there were, there are people that would say that it's that down here and in the heyday would be what it is in the Midwest now, which is nothing to shake a stick at. Right. So you, you did mention it a little bit, but I was curious because as I understand it, early successional habitat is, is lacking in that part of the world. And that's something that gets brought up a lot when we're talking about finding rough grouse. So there are some timber cuts and you stress the importance of checking those out when you can, but in the absence of those, what is the, what's the next level down? I I would think you mentioned a North facing slope, maybe a draw or something where you might get some sunlight coming down. How do you go about trying to look at those, those second tier places to find grouse? I would say if I if I wasn't going to go off of timber cuts, I would go for high elevation bald edges. So okay. once you get over 3,500, 4,000 feet, depending on where you are down here, um, there's areas where there was really significant burns um, okay. um, yeah. a long time ago or, um, you know, there had been, been management there in the past or... or it had been farmed in the past, and so basically the the top of the mountain is is a, a big open meadow or a bald. Um, and so those edges are great because the sunlight gets in. It's yeah. also high, so the, the growth rate is slower. Um, and, in, and so I've had good, I shouldn't say good, I've had marginal success in, in those areas. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of hiking. You better have your, your lungs and your legs ready to go. Yeah. How about the now? You've killed one grouse down there, right? Yeah. How many have you shot at? Do what, do you know? At least a half a dozen. Okay, because I'm yeah. curious. I'm curious about the shooting as it relates to the elevation, the up and down, and we all know. I, I mean, it gets talked about a lot. I mean, how hard it is to shoot a grouse through the timber when you put elevation in play. Now, I've got some places, actually, some places that I've been exploring more recently. That let's be clear here, they're not mountains, but ravine country that i've been hunting and this year in particular had a had a few places like that where i was really tight to the edges of of those ravines and the girls were there and so i they don't really i don't think they rocket down them like what i imagine they could do there so i i'm curious tell me about what shooting at grouse is like in in southern apps um i would say that so the last day of the season last year probably describes that uh, what you're getting at in that the last bird that that we flew it flushed and I had a big tree in front of me and it actually I was just near the the crest of this ridge and it, it basically flew up and was going to go over the ridge okay so I took I took sort of that one big step to get up the mountain to get you know, <laughs> around the tree so I could shoot and um, when I dug my my foot in to sort of lift myself and push myself up, the ground promptly gave way, and I fell completely into the side of the mountain uh, while trying to mount my gun and uh, didn't get a shot off. Damn. Um, so um, it's 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 not only the um, the angles of the shooting, but just the terrain underneath you. Um, right. You know we don't we don't have shale on on the east coast, but that 
level of, of ground vegetation will definitely get you, particularly when it's wet. You yeah. still do a lot of slipping and sliding. So um, I would say it's less about less about um, you know the speed and the angles of the birds. It's more the footing. Sure. Yeah. 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 One one more thing working against you and getting a shot at a rough grouse. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You know, and the cover's just as thick, so. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about, I've talked to some other Southern Apps hunters about sort of the cover, and I have I always recall talking to Stephen Faust. I'm, I'm blanking on what's the the shrub that's like there and it's green all the time. I'm totally. Uh, uh, so either um, uh, mountain laurel or rhododendron. Rhododendron, yeah, yeah, that's the one where because we were we were comparing it to hazelbrush, and up here we have hazelbrush and it's great stuff, and eventually it drops its leaves. But Stephen's like down here, it's all the rhododendron's always green; <laughs> you can never see through it. Yeah, and you, and I would say you can walk through hazel. You yes, know? you I can because it, it's usually with, patchy. Yeah, with rhododendron, you're crawling through it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just sort of like if, if that's there. I'll definitely like on the on the edges of the logging roads and paths in. I'll let the dogs work, and if yeah. something flies, I hope that it flies up and out of that stuff. But do you do you to... need that stuff to be there to feel like you're in a good spot? I, per, personally, I'd rather not see it. Okay, okay. Um, you know, because it, if you're in a you know a, a younger cut, it's not going to be there. Okay. Yeah, they, they, that's all going to be removed, and it's going to be you know there's there's spots I could send you photos that besides the angle you would think you know would be something that you would hunt in the midwest and it's not stem aspens but stem density is right there yeah yeah so some conifers mixed in stuff like that all right well that's grouse hunting talk to me a little bit about your kansas trip and kind of similar things you know like like where you where you look to hunt and first of all what were you chasing pheasants and quail Mostly quail. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, we, we got a couple of pheasants as a byproduct. Um, I started, um, I was really fortunate. I was actually in uh, Texas uh, for, for a friend's deer camp. Oh, yeah. And then on my, on my, way, to, uh, on my way to Kansas, I stopped in the Cimarron. I really wanted to hunt the Cimarron uh, for a couple days, but I only ended up having a morning to hunt there. And so I went and camped in the Cimarron for a night and hunted, hunted a morning. Um, temperature swing was crazy i mean i woke up it was 25 degrees i slept in my truck there was frost everywhere yeah got ready and by the time i put the dogs in the, in the truck um at like 11 a.m it was pushing 80 like jeez it was, it, it was, it was one of those if, well, what for were me, you doing all morning i was hunting no I, I i i got hunting as fast as i could oh, okay okay and then uh, and that's what part of that part of it i had more time that day to hunt but it was so hot i was like i'm not you were done i don't i don't need to a burn dogs out on the first day of a trip b yeah. i don't need any of them getting snake bit so yeah yeah i'm, gonna, I'm and i moved two coveys of quail and killed one bird i was like i'm good I, i'm good um <laughs> and so that i would say the cimarron is is interesting because it it all looks the same Okay. Um, it's really hard to to find areas to key on. Um, you know, you're. I would say that the and I'm not experienced in that area, so some, some folks may say that I'm I'm saying the wrong things. But my experience was, I'm just out here and I'm going to take the dogs and we're going to walk and yeah. we're going to see what we see. And we were really lucky to to move two coveys, um, especially that opening weekend. I guess a lot of people really struggled out there. It was hot. It was dry. Um, but it, it was, it was really neat. It's just, it's, I like the hostility of that Southwest Kansas 
Oklahoma panhandle type country. Um, so that was, uh, was a really neat opportunity. And then from there, hunted the Flint Hills region, uh, primarily, like I said, for quail and did really well. We had a mix of, mix of public and private. I yeah. would say, um, you know, we were moving half a dozen coveys a day, some, some pheasants mixed in. Um, and it's really for my puppy. That's really where, where it clicked for her. You know, she had, she had pointed a grouse in Wisconsin, pointed okay. woodcock in Minnesota, but, but was still like pretty tight, was still like really checking in with me. Um, and then in, in Kansas, by the end of the week, um, she pointed a hen pheasant and promptly ran through barbed wire chasing it, mm. uh, which, uh, which was great, but thankfully she's a, a tough little girl. So, um, she took the staples, no problem. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but right before the end of the trip, she, she ended up beating my older dog and a buddy of mine's dog to a covey. And when that blew up in front of her after that, it was off. Like she was, she was <laughs> a completely different dog after that, that covey. Yeah. Um, so it was a great experience. It's, I'd never hunted Kansas and I haven't hunted that mix of, of ag and edge habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a, um, it was an interesting place to go and try to figure it out. Cause I'd never been there. Is it Kansas? Is it Weehaw or is that mm-hmm. what people, so yeah. it's, so private land open to public hunting. Yep. Talk to me about how that works. You know, as you come from out of state trying to find this stuff do you get like how do you find it how do you access it is there signage what kind of yeah there's they're actually really really good about signage okay um so as you're uh, so i used you know similar to to what i said before so ann's maps have a uh agricultural layer mm, uh, yep. for kansas so you can use that the, the challenge with that is they do crops on a rotation there and so generally the data is going to be the crops for the year before so unless you know the rotation so that's a little bit hard to read. Um, and I actually would say the, the crop, from my experience after two weeks there, so take it with a grain of salt, the crops there, whatever is in is really important. Um, and okay. it got to the point where I would drive to a piece of Weeha and look at it. And if it was, you know, if it was planted in wheat or, or potentially even soybeans, we'd keep driving um, just because the cover in the field wasn't there. I was really looking for Milo, primarily Milo or okay. corn. Um, but that Milo provides such good cover for them along with all the food that that's, if you could find a Weeha with Milo on it, you were going to find birds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to see plenty of Milo in my trip to South Dakota this year and there was a lot of birds hanging out in it. So I can yeah. at least relate to that somewhat. Yeah. I think part of it is they haven't fi- quite figured out how to farm it super efficiently. So it's just, it's so dirty. There's just food everywhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about how. You know, you were commenting about how things look the same. That's something. It makes me think about three years ago when I started going out west chasing sharptails. Similar thing. You get dropped into a space where you have zero familiarity and you've got you haven't flushed any birds. So naturally, there's there's some of that. You know, just sort of newness where everything looks the same. And until you start popping a few birds up and seeing where they're coming out of, like you can't. It's hard to. It's hard to sort of filter out the noise and focus in on the stuff that you want. And now I would say three years later, like I, I can see some of the nuance and some of the subtleties and I'm, you know, very new to it. I, I'm not going to know nearly as much as somebody like Tyler Webster knows, but I can sure. start to look at things and start to see the patterns. And I mean, that's, that's what upland bird hunting is. You, you spend enough time and put boots on the ground to get your dogs out there. The patterns are going to expose themselves sooner or later. Yeah. If you're paying attention. I, yeah. That's a big part for me is, is, yeah. I like just going places and figuring it out. Yeah. Um, to give you an idea, 
So where where I hunted in November and where I hunted in January is an hour apart. And okay. and granted, you know, so there's time and it's late season. Yeah. But it, part of this is related to crop rotation too, where I hunted late season, there was not nearly as much Milo. Um, and we struggled to find birds. And when we found them generally, it was tied to Milo. Yeah. Um, and so it was a, it was a, but we, you know, we had to go and pay the piper on that to figure yeah. it out and to realize <laughs> what we were, what we were doing. Um, so. Yeah. Well, let's talk puppy. You brought, brought her up a little bit, but tell me about, let's rewind to before the season. Tell me about the puppy when you got her, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and I apologize. She's been chewing a bone at my feet. So I apologize if that's been reverberating. I'm not, in, I'm not in hearing it coming through. So I think you're okay. <laughs> Perfect. Um, that's her favorite thing to do when I'm on conference calls is bang it against the base of my chair. Uh, so I'm constantly apologizing for her, but she is, uh, she's a nine month old short hair. Um, she came, uh, from a very good friend of mine when I lived in Wisconsin, I had actually trained the dam of the litter and she is a, I'm a big in an Avda and, and she's a, nabbed a dog the owners uh, brought her all the way to the invitational and i just i really loved what i saw out of her in temperament um i have a, a nine-year-old wire hair who i love dearly but can be a little squirrely um and there's just some temperament pieces that um that don't don't jive with me so i wanted to, to try something different and i really couldn't be happier she's she's really mellow in the house in the crate um and uh, and has has become quite the little bird dog at nine months old, um, but yeah, I picked her up in August, uh, right after I transitioned to RGS, and I was I actually picked her up. I judged I was judging a NAVDA test in Nebraska, and then in Minnesota, so I picked her up in between. That's right. And, and, uh, she was a she was a truck dog for a week, and uh, <laughs> bonded with me, and went all over the place, and. Uh, yeah, it's kind of been off to the races ever since. I, I joke sometimes that she's spent more nights with me in my truck traveling places than she has at home. At home. <laughs> yeah. Did that did that help with the crate training? I would imagine it probably did. It sounds like she, she took right to everything. Yeah, she really did. Um, you know, she is, uh, she's become a good, really good travel companion and, um, yeah, has taken to, to crate training and, um, yeah. and really just new environments and situations really, really well. Um, yeah. it really speaks to, to the exposure piece. And then really from a wild bird perspective, I worked her on, on two planted birds before, right before I left for a trip to, to make sure that, that she wasn't gun shy and then took her hunting. Yep. Um, and I've really gotten to the point where I've cut through hunting season and went, Oh, I haven't done anything with you. I yep. should, I should probably, <laughs> uh, I should probably start. Um, so she, you know, she'll come to me. She will, she's not a runoff. She'll come to me. She'll, she kennels great. Um, you know, and she actually, she likes to parade a little bit, but she'll retrieve and I'm like, all right. But, but from a, from a formal obedience perspective, I'm like, well, it's time for you to go to school, kid. Yeah. Honestly, that sounds like a lot like my situation. I know you and I have kind of been in touch over the last year. We knew that our dogs were similar at the similar stage, but there was no time to do anything with the dog that age before the season. And I think Rose saw two planted quail, like just intro to birds, like nothing. And then I just started once August came and the restrictions were off, we started running in the woods and she wasn't covering any ground, but Hartley would find the birds. And inherently she got into a couple of her first birds before the season. And then Long story short, you know, Hartley got injured, and the listeners have kind of heard that. But Rose had a had a good season. But I've literally done nothing with her, and I mean, I had no recall on her during the season. And she, we had our moments where early on she was puppy phase, so she wasn't going anywhere. And then right in the middle of the season, she found her independence and started 
doing some things to make me like <laughs> she took off a few times and kind of like surprised like holy cow this dog is just going and if i didn't have that gps collar on her i would have lost my mind probably i hardly never did that his first season and and then uh then but but our relationship kind of grew and developed throughout the season and now we've made it through the winter and i've done a few things around the house a little bit but she comes when i call her and all kinds of stuff that just seemed to happen naturally and i don't I don't know what to attribute that to other than I got a good dog and I didn't mess up too much. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, I put it back on. Like, it's got a good temperament and <laughs> have a good relationship with you, so you know, so they want to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we got into plenty of birds and stuff, so they uh, they realized that there's there's fun to be had by sticking with us for, for now at true. least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, is she your second or third bird dog? She is my, what I would say, she's my second bird dog, third short hair. Um, okay. So we okay. had two short hairs before I really got into, into bird dogs. Okay. And so we still have one of those. She's 16 right now, and she sleeps a whole heck of a lot. Uh, uh, but, yeah, primarily my two bird dogs are, are now the puppy and then my, my wire hair who's nine. Was there anything, and this may yet be unresolved, but was there anything going into this, this dog that you were thinking, all right, I'm doing this differently, or I'm for sure doing this that I didn't do last time. Anything like that on your mind? Yeah, I think um, I think that part of what I why I did what I did was um, my wire hair had a lot of training early, and part of that, you know, she's a people are going to get mad at she's a draught, so um, so I had to get ready for German system stuff and yeah. and and really being just young and, and novice in the system and training. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes. She caught birds, um, you know, and, and overtrained some obedience and things. Yeah. And so I knew I didn't want to do that, and I wanted to really expose her to as much wild birds in as many situations as possible, particularly, too, when I started. You know, I wasn't traveling, um, right, right. you know, really anywhere to hunt. And so I just kind of took what was local, um, you know, whereas this little one has is, is hunted a half a dozen states by now. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I, and I, I, part of that was intentional. It's the puppy year, and I want her to have as much exposure as she can. Um, and so I, that was something that I really, really had an eye towards. And then the, I would say the other piece is is part of the lack of obedience was just letting the dog run. Uh-huh. Uh, my is a pretty close hunting dog, um, and I wanted something with a little bit more punch. And I knew that if I just cut the dog loose and zip my mouth, that that would help her develop how she wants to develop and yeah um, she she definitely um i mean she's not a huge running dog by any means um but she's got some good run and excitement that that i like watching her work yeah you know you probably had a little bit more more confidence more experience naturally and maybe were able to sort of step out of the picture a little bit you know let the dog let the dog do its thing because you've you've been through this once before i i, I know that was a big deal for me first time around you're just wondering every at every turn when am i going to make the the biggest mistake you know and ruin this dog and i just like that was my main goal was just to relax be patient let the dog do its thing you know i i was fairly confident that i could prevent disaster from occurring and and that's i use that word it's like it's kind of overblown i mean you you definitely can make some big mistakes but these dogs are pretty damn resilient and they they can overcome a lot of our failures as trainers if we Absolutely. if we allow them to yeah yeah, I I would I would very much agree with that, and I would say, for me, I think that the biggest thing was I was just more confident in that the dog wasn't going to run away. You mm-hmm. know, when you, I think when yep. you get a puppy for the first time, you know, the whole time you're like, 
I have to keep it close to me. I, like, I don't want to yep. lose this little dog. Um, and, and by doing that and constantly talking to it and constantly calling it, you know, you're, you're really keeping it super, super keyed off of you. And if, yep. if you do that enough, they get used to like, all right, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, and I did not want to do that again. So, yeah, I remember the first time Hartley went out of bell range, his first season, he wasn't very far away, but he was out of, it was the first time I'd lost visual and audio, you know, audible contact with my dog. And I, I just had this helpless feeling come over me. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do and started yelling for him. And sure enough, he came back, but yeah, it's the GPS caller. Again, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. That can, that can allow, it allowed me to give Rose a lot more freedom this year. And whether that is good or bad in the long run, we'll find out. But I think, it, I think it's helping so far. Yeah, no, that's the same for me. I've, I put a, a GPS on her and, and if I haven't even introduced the dog to e-caller yet. Yeah, um, yeah. but it, you know, she just knows that when we go hunting, I get this thing around my neck and, yep. Um, yep. which is what you're supposed to do anyways, you know, build the positive association before you start using it as a tool anyways. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when, when Rose first started wearing the collar, well, really for the whole hunting season, there was no stimulation prongs in it. I just pulled them out and it was just a, just a tracking collar on her. That was it. Nice. Yeah, I probably should have done that. I, I will I will admit that inadvertently I went after the big dog once and, and she got she got, <laughs> she it, got pretty it good. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah. you know, she's a resilient little dog and uh right. it, she was done the worse for wear, to your point about, you know, that they can they can take some mistakes every now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing they can, otherwise we would I know I would not have as good a bird dogs as I do. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd we'd ruin more than, than uh, we'd like to admit. Yeah, well we have our breeders to thank for that, so that's good. All right, what are you looking at now? So, uh, of course, I know you're you're an aptitude judge, so you're thinking about some training. What are you gonna What are you gonna do with the puppy this spring summer? Yeah, um, for me, I would say um, you know it's some around the house stuff, some more more yeah. formal kennel work and and heel. Um, her recall is pretty good, but I'd like to to solidify that. Honestly, this summer I'll probably put her through trained retrieve. Retrieving is something personally that's really important to me. Okay. Um, and so I'll, and I, from a NABDA perspective, is really important as you, as you progress in the system. So um, I'll probably take some time here soon and start working her through that. Um, she's got a nice little bit of, of natural retrieve, which I really like. Um, but I like the the overlay of going through a trained retrieve process to really solidify that when I ask you to go get something you've got to go get something. Yeah. Um, so I would say that those, those are my big few things. I'll run her in natural ability in May. Um, looking forward to that. Um, you know, so watching her work the field and point and track and swim. She loves water. So I, I can't, That's uh, good. can't, uh, be, be any upset about that. I didn't get to duck hunter as much this year as I would have wanted to, but, um, you know, so I, I probably should introduce her to ducks more formally yeah. at, at some point. Um, yeah, I'd say that's that's the biggest piece. I mean, I'm traveling a lot, uh, both for work and, and for NAVDA. Okay. Um, and I'll I'll try to bring her as much as I can so that she can see different scenarios and work birds and meet other dogs. She, I was I had a really uh, fun opportunity uh, uh, with a, a member to go hunt their their property um, in Virginia uh, on quail. And on that hunt, she actually started backing, uh, backing their setters, which was really neat to see oh, that's her do cool. that, do that yep. naturally. So, um, for me, it's, it's a balance of the obedience piece, but also just helping bring out the natural exposure pieces. Yep. Do you, are you traveling up this way at all for NAVDA stuff? Do you got any tests up here? I am. Yeah. I'll be, uh, I'll be at four Brooks in July. 
Okay. Um, it's a little bit south of you, but then I'll be at yep. Pine Ridge in August. So oh, you, you are. have to come over. Okay, yeah. Uh, Tyler Webster brought that up last week. You guys maybe talked about it. I know you were on his show a month ago or so. Yeah, he mentioned there was – I know there's a test at Jerry's. I've been talking to Jerry a lot, and I, um, I didn't know that you were going to be there officially, so that's cool. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be there for that one if I can be. It's a it's a crew. I'm I you know I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but it's you know <laughs> Tyler might come if you come over. Yeah, uh, the Ron Bame himself it, it, is alleged to be there. Okay, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be uh that would be a fun little get together. Is that in August? It is. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll have to talk to Jerry about that one. Get it on the calendar. That could be fun. Yeah. Absolutely. I can send you the dates. Good deal. Well. Let's talk Rough Grouse Society a little bit again. Anything that you can share? I know that the organization is planning to do some things for the 60th anniversary, but is are we still in the formulation phase, or is there anything you can allude to at this point yet? That's hmm. putting me on the spot. It's a good, it's a good <laughs> we can keep it under wraps if you're not prepared. Yeah, yet I would say um, I would say expect expect us to to pull out some stops this year and have some exciting things this fall. Yeah, um, you know, for us. Our, our our 60th anniversary um the actual date is in october so we're okay. we want to do something you know it's it's the heart of the season everybody's yeah. excited and yep. it's really it that really is the time to celebrate the organization and the membership and so um you know we're we're hashing out what that uh can look like now yeah. um and so keep an eye out on it um but that said it's something that it's been fun to to talk about in the organization and even for me just being a new staff member learning more about our history and our growth over time yeah. you know and all, and all that we've accomplished in 60 years and then also you know with the the transition to the new model all that we're looking to accomplish after building on all of that moving forward is really exciting yeah any like habitat projects things i'll put you on the spot again but is there anything that that comes to mind that you guys have uh that's come across your desk recently things you could highlight yeah i, I think just re- for me regionally here in the southern appalachians it's been awesome to work with mick b miller yeah. um uh who's our forest conservation director here in the southeast he uh put out about a month ago now maybe a little bit longer his accomplished his six-month accomplishment report which there's he did a ton uh, of work and relationship building, um, even got some, some projects going. I'm thinking about what we were doing in the North Cumberland and Tennessee. You know, we in, in within six months, he got a project going where we're actually cutting trees down and actually oh, wow. developing some early successional habitat on, on the North Cumberland Plateau in Tennessee. But then also just really developing relationships with national forests and, and working to put stewardship agreements into place, places like the Daniel Boone, um, in Kentucky, uh, the Clinch District in southwestern Virginia, um, working on some projects with the, the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission for here, uh, here within the state in partnership with the National Forest. Um, so it's, it's neat here. We've never had a conservation delivery person that's been solely in the southeast. Yeah. Like previously, it was somebody that pretty much did almost the entire east coast. So to have somebody that's down here and doing the work just for here. Um, is really exciting and it and it really shows the opportunity for us to to make landscape scale change um, you know with the the new model. I would also say you know uh, Todd Waldron in the Northeast has been yeah. on staff for like a month, maybe about like five weeks yeah um, and he's really hit the ground running there and um, I think that you're gonna start seeing soon some really exciting things come from his end about opportunities in the Northeast and then um, in the mid Atlantic uh, we're that person will start. 
um, by the end of March. So there will be an announcement about that forest conservation okay. director here coming out soon. So I think that, um, you know, that's another region similar to the Southeast that, that needs some love and attention. You know, the, the GW and the Jeff down there need some work as well as the uh, Monongahela and West Virginia, um, as well as you know, Pennsylvania and, and all the state land in Maryland. So I think that um, we, we're really poised to to have an excellent 2021, you know, 2020, you know, when you look at it on the face, um, was really, it was hard. It was a lot of transition for the organization, but we never left conservation delivery. You know, if anything, we continued to lean into, to the delivery piece in it, in it, we continue to do that here in the early part of the year. And so that's, that's really what we're focused on. I can't leave out, you know, Stegerwall up by in your neck of the woods. Yeah. It's yeah. just sort of the benchmark for everybody. You know, we <laughs> you worked on that big, big project in the Chippewa through shared yeah. stewardship, which is excellent. And then he, he sent me a report recently. The amount of hunter walking trails that he's helped facilitate, you know, putting in in the state of Minnesota, um, and, and different work that he's doing in Wisconsin um, has been been excellent. So, yeah, yeah, John and Jared are they're always doing stuff. Actually, a uh, listener of the show. Guy Ryan, I've I've run into him in the woods a time or two out here, and we we keep in regular communication. But he's just bought some, uh, he acquired some property, and he and Jared were just out walking the property last week. And that's the the private lands component that is available to folks. There's some there's some resource professionals within RGS and AWS that can go out and walk your land and connect you to possible grants or funding to do habitat work. And yeah, there's a lot of pieces in place for folks to work with and alongside the Rough Grouse Society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, the public work is actually is absolutely important because it's where most folks like you and I, Nick, go to hunt. But at the yep. same time, we can't. Most land is privately owned. So yeah, birds we live there too. Out. Yeah, we can't yep. leave out that portion of the equation. Yeah. Well, I do know that you guys are running a membership drive at the moment. I think I saw some swag, maybe maybe uh, in partnership with Pike Gear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brent really stepped up huge and, and um, is supporting us with our our March membership drive for our 60th anniversary. So what, um, what we would love, you know, is, is most folks are where the $35 rough grouse society member. What we would love is for our 60th anniversary to have folks, um, consider that, you know, the, the $60 level be a member of rough grouse society and American Woodcock society. Yeah. Um, we're calling it sort of our, our 60 for the 60th initiative. Cool. Um, and when you do that, at the, at that level, you know, you join both organizations. Uh, we worked with Brent and have a pretty, Pretty sweet T-shirt. There's a, a buff involved, um, yep. and then uh, there's also um, a, a gift card to Pike Gear as well. Um, so if you're if you're checking out any of his stuff, yeah, uh, there's an opportunity to to support us and uh, get a discount on some of his gear. And then in that that uh, that gift card goes up uh, depending on the level that you uh, go after. So uh, I'd ask folks to consider that. It's a it's a excellent deal in my opinion um and obviously it gets the opportunity to support us yeah it's always nice when the corporate partners brands companies you guys work with step in to kind of sweeten the deal because then you guys can sort of do your thing and focus on conservation delivery which is what we're all concerned with but get something out of it too from a partner like pike gear it's good yeah i will i'll tease this out there actually for the listeners I'm supposed to get Brent on the podcast this month. I got to reach out to him and get it on the calendar. So if uh, folks are hearing that, go check out the Rough Grouse Society membership drive, check out Pike Gear. And if you have questions about Pike Gear stuff that you'd want me to ask, I haven't done the interview yet, 
send them my way. Yeah. And I, again, I can't, I can't stress enough how appreciative we are for, for folks like Brent and Pike and, and our partners, because those are the folks that allow us when we do these promotions to take as much money as possible right. from those memberships and put it right into conservation delivery, like we were talking about. Yeah. I know what I forgot to ask you. I wanted to touch on or see if there were any memorable moments from your from your hunts last fall, specifically related to the puppy, you did mention one where she she beat the dogs to that covey of quail and kind of was a light bulb moment. I was curious if there were any other light bulb moments or you know maybe birds that you killed that were just like it all came together for you. Yeah, um, uh, with the pu- so I would say a couple. So I I have the the pu- the puppy with that that covey of quail. Yeah, I I could literally like take you there in my mind if yeah. I if I wanted to. I think. Um, the the New Year's Eve grouse that I killed over the uh, actually I don't I don't know I was with a, a very dear friend of mine uh, who unfortunately lost a dog last fall on New Year's Eve and we were hunting and it was just me and him and the puppy and um, and she's running you know through the snow in this sort of mixed aspen spruce cover. And all of a sudden, she she hits the brakes like that quintessential like slam on point sideways like there is something right here, and him and I both sort of looked at each other like we have to kill this bird for the puppy, <laughs> yeah. um, and it you know it's like that that like late season oh there she's barking there Sorry. she is um, <laughs> she's excited she's excited <laughs> she knows the deal. Um, you know, late season, the light's coming in at just the right angle. Right. Um, and we, we both sort of walk in on either side, and the bird goes, and we both shoot at the same time, and it falls. And um, she goes, picks it up, and runs around with it for a little bit, and, and eventually brings it right back to me. And um, to be able to share that with him um, and it, yeah. it be for her is, is something that uh, I will remember for a long time. Very cool. Speaking of light coming in, I I see the sunlight shining on your face right now, and yeah. I'm, look, I'm looking out my window. I told you that it was raining earlier. Now there are like snowflakes the size of baseballs coming down <laughs> out here. So we're uh, we're back to snow here up in the up in the Northwoods, but yeah, uh, I don't think it's gonna last too long. But yeah, I'm a, not... I will tell you, man. There's a part of me that's a little jealous. You know <laughs> that, that I'm uh, I'm definitely somebody that prefers that cold weather climate. So. I know, I know you're sick of it at this point. But. Well, in really, like I, I said, this was such a mild, like this isn't really a winter where somebody that lives where I live could say that they're sick of winter because it was, it was so so easy. And like my snowmobile, my my not my snowmobile, my snowblower is like lonely. It hardly even <laughs> hardly even got any use. So, yeah, I. I Hey, I love the seasons. I love the transitions. You know, as soon as once the snow's gone, we get a little bit of sunshine and things start to dry up. Spring is spring is a good time to get back out in the woods and see the see the woods come alive again and and do some scouting and that kind of stuff. So each season makes you appreciate all of them individually. You know, absolutely. No, yeah. I'm I'm right there with you. I've I'm, I've started. My mind has now clicked over to think about fly fishing. So oh yeah, I've got yeah. all the the dog training stuff, but it's also time to get out and go fishing. Yeah. Well, all right, tell me where the listeners can go to learn more about the membership drive and possibly sign up for Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the best bet is our website, roughgrousesociety.org. You can also find us on uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram um, at Rough Grouse Society. Um, You'll you'll certainly find all the information that you can uh, on any of those three resources. Folks are more than welcome to, to reach out to me personally as well, and I'm happy to connect them or answer any questions that they have. Cool. And if they wanted to get in touch with you and or follow along on some of your adventures, Instagram account, where can they find you? 
Sure. Um, so my Instagram is at uh, mnadusky, so it's my first initial and last name. Um, thanks to my Polish heritage, it's difficult to spell, so I'm sure you'll put it in the, in the show <laughs> yeah, notes. Yeah, I'll drop a link in there. <laughs> um, uh, but my Rough Grouse Society email is mikeN at roughgrousesociety.org, so folks are more than happy to uh, reach out to me there as well. Cool. Easy enough, man. All right, well, I appreciate you joining me on for another episode of the podcast we'll uh we'll keep this thing going man i'll, we'll, I'll uh I, I know i'll talk to you before we do this again next year but we'll definitely do it again next year <laughs> yeah I, I, I really want to continue it I, you know I'm, I'm trying to think if anybody else has done three episodes uh well so and janderna to... is one okay that's sure. that's big company yeah yeah well you know when it comes to annual interviews that's you know she's kind of the benchmark in that in that for spot sure. yeah, i don't know <laughs> that i can i can hold that uh <laughs> that bar i will say how many times have you had bob st pierre on um it's a good question i think two because i think i did a solo interview with him and then we just had him on for a call of the uplands gotcha gotcha i like to i like to prod bob about (laughs) i call it his love of the dark arts because he keeps posting grouse and woodcock uh photos every now and then yeah i like to barb him yeah it's uh, funny enough uh, i actually just finished uh, listening to a podcast with Bob. He was on Tony Peterson's um, podcast, Sporting Dog Talk, um, mm. another podcast that I really enjoy. And um, it was a good episode. So I've, I've heard a lot of Bob lately. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the work that you do for Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society, everybody over there. Obviously, I, I know a lot of the folks there and I'm volunteering in my local chapter and doing all those things. So I appreciate what you do and I'm continuing to support it here on the podcast and in what I do. So thank you for that. And, uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. Absolutely. And and Nick, thank you for having me and for your support of the organization, both with the podcast and for volunteering. You know, we, we can't thank you and our members and supporters enough. Yeah. Anytime, man. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. This is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.